How's it going, family? Welcome to another episode of The Genius Life. I'm your host, Max Lugavier, a filmmaker, health and science journalist, and the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Genius Foods. On this episode of the show, I'm excited to introduce you to Mr. Kamal Ravikant, the author of Love Yourself Like Your Life depends on it. Kamal has meditated with monks in the Himalayas, served as a U.S. Army infantry soldier, walked 550 miles across Spain, and has co-founded several companies and a venture capital firm in Silicon Valley. He wrote this book, Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It, at a very dark time in his life, and the book went viral online. He self-published it, and it became this online phenomena that was spread and spread and spread, and ultimately, he was able to achieve a book deal because the book was just going gangbusters. And for good reason. It teaches you very simple and effective tools to forge a better relationship with yourself. And he's going to share some of those tools and those insights over the course of the next hour. I'm super excited to get into it. But before we do, I have some very special news to share with you. I have a brand new book coming out on March 17th called The Genius Life. Yep, it's the same name as this podcast. If you happen to be a fan of this podcast, you are going to love my new book, The Genius Life. It is a 360 degree lifestyle approach to feeling great and getting healthy. It incorporates many of the topics that we've covered on this show before, including toxicology, circadian biology, exercise physiology, nutrition, nature immersion, the value of thermal exercise, i.e. experiencing variation in your ambient temperature, and so much more. Now, each of these topics can easily take up a book of their own, right? But is that going to be an exciting book to read? I don't know. What I've done in my book is I've digested and distilled and made actionable, approachable, and most importantly, achievable all of these different different topics to give you the best and most relevant that science has to offer so that you can make incremental changes in your day-to-day -day life that are going to add up to big health wins and you're going to feel them immediately. If you're already a fan of Genius Foods, you're going to love this new book as well. And Genius Foods is not a prerequisite if you haven't read that yet. Well, don't worry. All you need is the Genius, genius Life which has nutritional guidance in it, but it's it's calibrated a little bit differently than Ingenious Foods. It's aimed specifically at improving your body composition, helping you lose fat, gain muscle, achieve better metabolic health, satiate your hunger without deprivation, and while also healing your relationship with food. I know it's a tall order, you guys, but the Genius Life delivers. And you can go to geniuslife.com book.com and pre-order now so that you can get it first. I remember when Genius Foods came out, uh, it was actually sold out for a good couple of days. And so don't let that happen to you. Uh, this time, don't get shut out. Go to geniuslifebook.com and pre-order. And just for pre-ordering, you're going to get instantly um, a bunch of different bonuses. For one, you're going to get a guide to reading and understanding scientific studies. You're going to get the Genius Life Guide to Restaurants and Supermarkets with some hacks so that you can uh, be a healthier shopper, save money on that, and eat healthy when you're going out to restaurants, as well as my updated uh, guide to 10 supplements that you can use to potentially boost your brain function. And for the first 1,000 people that pre-order and register at geniuslifebook.com, I'm going to send you in the mail a signed book plate, which is basically an official sticker from the publisher, Harper Wave, that I'm going to sign and put in the mail and send to you so that you could stick it on the interior of your book. Now, these are going to go very quickly, uh, so be sure to pre-order and register at GeniusLifeBook.com. You can get more details on the book there. You can watch a book trailer. Needless to say, you guys, I'm so excited, and you're going to hear more about the book from me in the weeks to come. But yeah, I'm pumped, and thank you as always for your support. I am so excited for you to get your hands on this book. I've worked really hard on it, and I'm very proud of the content, and it is going to change your life. So again, GeniusLifeBook.com. Now, before we get into this episode with Kamal, which I'm so excited for, I want to give a shout out to the sponsor of this episode of the show, and that is Redmond Real Salt. Most people don't realize that sodium is a nutrient. It's been demonized uh, in this country for the past you know, couple of decades. Um, but actually, we need salt to feel good and to be healthy. And my favorite salt that I use in my kitchen and that I buy whenever I can is Redmond Real Salt. Why? Most sea salts are contaminated with microplastics. They've done uh, research around the world where they're finding that commercially available sea salts 
all contain nanoparticles of plastic because our oceans are becoming increasingly polluted. Iodized salt is a great option, but it's heavily processed and it can also come with artificial cake, anti-caking ingredients and aluminum and things like that. That's why I love Redmond Real Salt, which comes from an underground uh, lake in Utah. So it is untouched by modern pollution. It comes from a pristine source and it also has other trace minerals. It does not have iodine, uh, but you don't have to get your iodine from salt if you're eating foods that are rich in iodine, like sea vegetables and the like. So people love Redmond Real Salt. It tastes great. I use it liberally in my cooking. They also make a number of great um, seasoned salts. And the kind folks at Redmond have bundled up some of my favorite hand-picked uh, products of theirs and allowed me to offer it to you guys at a deep discount. So all you have to do is head over to realsalt.com slash max. That's realsalt, R-E-A-L-S-A-L-T dot com slash max. And you'll get to buy one of two hand-picked bundles for me at a deep discount from Redmond. I love these salts again, and uh, you're really going to enjoy them. So thank you, Redmond. I am uh, super grateful to um, get to spread the word about your salt here on The Genius Life. And to all you guys out there, uh, salt is great, you guys. Salt your food liberally, make it taste good. Realsalt.com slash max for those bundles. All right, now I'm pumped to get into this chat with uh, Mr. Kamal Ravikant. Again, his book is called Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It. Spread the word about The Genius Life, you guys. I've got some great episodes in store for you. And uh, yeah, so much, so much love for you, for the support for continuing to listen to my show week after week and for all of the love that you give the genius life on social media. I see all of your posts and I'm so very grateful. So without further ado, um, here we go. Here's Kamal. Kamal, thanks so much for being with me on the genius life. No, thanks for having me, Max. It's oh. really good. I'm really glad I'm here. Of course, man. Well, I first, I first stumbled upon your work. I, fr I actually have no idea how I discovered the initial iteration of your book, Love Yourself, but the cover alone was very compelling. And I think I probably found it at a time when, I don't know, when I was dealing with some stuff with, I, I had an ex-girlfriend who struggled a lot with self-esteem issues. And I actually, I ended up re devouring your book in an afternoon, but then I ended up buying another copy for her because I felt it would be helpful for her. I don't, I think she read it. She, she told me that she read it. Um, but I just, I love the simplicity of your message. And yet while being s simplistic, it's also very, um, effective. It's, it's very impactful and important. Um, and so, yeah, I, w I wanted to take the opportunity to introduce my audience to you and your work. No, oh, that's awesome, man. That's, uh, that's always nice to hear. It's something with that book. I mean, the full title is love yourself like your life depends on it. And that's something I've heard, you know, like people, when they get a copy and they read it, they buy a copy for their loved ones, which is probably like the best compliment you can give someone, you know, who's created something. Absolutely. So thank you for that. Of course. So why does your life depend on loving yourself? I mean, how does that, how, how do you make that connection in the book? Well, it's not necessarily your life depends on it, but it was actually where I came from when I set out to love myself. I, I, because at that time I was a bot, I hit a rock bottom and I didn't know what to do. And I made a vow to myself to get out of it. And how they made the vow was to, I made a vow to love myself. I wrote it in my journal. And honestly, I don't know where that vow came from. It came from somewhere deep within. It wasn't like, Hey, I'm going to get out of this. It was more like, I'm going to love myself. And it was, you can tell there was a purity to it because when something like that comes, that's not just a general thing you think, because I'm not, I was not the guy who was thinking that that way, you know, something pure and special. And I was at a dark place and I'd lost everything and I was trying to figure out what to do. And then I had to set out to figure out how to love myself. And I did it with an intensity, almost like I was trying to save myself, which is what I did. And, and I started to work on my inside. And, um, and as I worked on my inside and figured out what made me feel love for myself and made me shift, like my outside, my life started to shift. And so the title came from just the intensity of that way I went about it, because it really can, not only can it save your life, but it literally transforms your life. And the, the irony is, it's so stupid easy. It's simple. It's a human thing. We just never been taught it. You know, something I wish I'd been taught, but I had to figure out for myself. So your life can depend on it or not, but it'll definitely make your life better. Absolutely. I mean, I feel like when we don't love ourselves, we can engage in self-destructive behavior, negative self-talk. 
um, it's, it's, it's crucial. And you're right. You know, nobody teaches us how to practice self-love, especially if we grow up in families, you know, with parents that don't give us that kind of instruction. So how do we, how do we learn to love ourselves more? Well, look, here's the thing, you know, like I, um, you know, like it's funny, this book is becoming popular in self-help and I, you know, like I didn't read any books when I set out to do this. I was actually just trying to figure out purely for myself. I wasn't sitting there to write a book about it. In fact, I had to be convinced and drags kicking and screaming to write a book about it. And, um, you know, it was, it was a matter of like trying uh, to figure it out myself in a deep way, like what worked for, for me on the inside. And, you know, and I noticed like a lot of, you know, now I've read recently, you know, after the books out, I've read like other books, you know, that talk about loving yourself, but they are, they, are, they tend to be platitudes because loving yourself is not, um, you know, you go and take bubble baths and drink champagne all day. You know, that's that can be a, that can be something you do, but loving yourself is an internal thing. How do we set about to do it? Well, the most important thing for me was actually, and I and I share in the book how to do it, is first making a commitment. You gotta make a commitment to yourself. You know, commitments. Uh, you know, you're you're a doer. You build things. You know how it is. Like you gotta commit and you gotta go all in to get to do anything great. And if you look at loving yourself, that's doing something great purely for yourself. So you gotta make a vow. You gotta make a commitment to yourself. And then the second thing is an exercise that I I've done over the years on self forgiveness. And, um, because, you know, and I, and I've learned this, like, if you gotta, if you want to move forward, you gotta let go of the weight of what you're carrying. And this works beautifully for that. And so you, you basically forgive yourself, you make your vow and then you go all in. Okay. Now what? Well, I was in a place where I was just trying and trying and trying and seeing what worked inside. And one thing I've learned is all of this stuff, loving ourselves, feeling good about ourselves, self-esteem, confidence, these are not external things. These are all internal. You gotta work in the internal. You know, it's a mindset shift. And mind the mind's a monkey, man. It throws bananas at you all day. That's the job of the mind. So you gotta you, you gotta train it. And in the big you know, it's like I read this phrase somewhere, you know, someone was saying, you know, it's simple. Some they were describing something else, but it's, uh, but the, about the nature of the mind, about training the mind. They said it's simple, but it's not easy. Well, the same here. It's simple. It's not easy in the beginning, but it gets easy. And what I basically came up with was basically a little system that kept on shifting my mind towards loving myself um, in a way that actually the mind is designed to do anyway. I would, you know, I have a degree in biology, so I know enough neuroscience to be dangerous, to enough to try things on myself, and the mind does start to shift. You know, it's like most of our thoughts are just old patterns and behaviors, old loops from like from childhood and, and forward, you know. So it's a matter of shifting the mind. So I came up with some practices that actually started shifting my mind towards making me feel love for myself using the concept of love and the concept of breath and the concept of light. Very, very simple things that don't take any extra time that are part of the natural day. But what it did was it started to shift my mindset. And, I, and what happens is eventually you start to notice that these thought patterns start to run on their own. That you're not just like trying to do it all the time. You do it to maintain it. You know, it's like going to the gym. You know, you want to be fit. You don't go in the big, you go out, you go regularly. You don't go one day a month or one day a year. You go same thing with the mind. You know, the, the thing that runs the whole show is the one thing we work on the least. So... So shifting the mindset with this practice, but it always starts with a commitment because when you make a commitment and stick to it, that's when really any great change happens. And look, we're doing this in the beginning of the year. You know, people make all sorts of new year resolutions, but how many of those are actually full on commitments? Because a commitment you keep, a resolution you just like, a, ah, I want to, I wish I have. A commitment is a vow. And when you make a vow, you know, it's like something that I do, you know, I write my journal and it's a vow that, I, that it's sitting in front of me that I have to live and you get up every day and you do your best to live it. Yeah. And I think a lot of people that make new year's resolutions, they do so with really kind of superficial endpoints in mind, you know, like having, you know, uh, getting, being able to see your abs better or hit like a lower body fat percentage, you know, but I feel like something like loving yourself, it's going to, this is a, a having being able to set, this as a goal is going to infuse itself 
in a positive way into nearly every aspect of your life, from your professional life to your personal life, um, the way that you relate to others, obviously the way that you relate to yourself. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's really uh, important. Yeah, like there's one, you know, there's a, there's a simple question I ask myself at times, uh, because look, most of the time we're not, we're not exactly running around loving ourselves, right? And that's when we make crappy choices. And so, you know, I ask myself, if I love myself, what, what would I do? It's a very simple question, right? In the moment of choice, when, when I'm about to make a crappy choice. And, you know, the, the if is the, is the if is a, is a game changer here because you don't have to be loving yourself. If It's theoretical. If I love myself, what would I do? And then you know the answer. And then you have to make the choice consciously. You know, like if I, um, you can still make the crappy choice, but now you're doing it consciously because most of the time you're running on unconscious autopilot. And what part of this practice does is that there's certain pattern interrupts like this question that makes you make choices consciously, but then also makes the loving yourself, the feeling of it unconscious. So it just starts to run the show. So like I've noticed like after a while, people start to just live this question rather than having to answer it. Yeah. You, there's a mantra in the book and one of the, one of the, one part of the practice, uh, is to simply say to yourself that you love yourself. Is that, is that a good characterization of at least part of yeah, the practice? Yeah. I'm not a fan of the word mantra cause it's so overused. It's basically, <laughs> you know, like there's, everyone's got one, you know, there's people who would pay, you have to pay to get their mantra, you know, like, like when I was at bottom and I was trying to figure out how do I love myself? You know, I didn't know, like, look, man, like none of us ever studied it. Um, you know, most of us weren't taught it. And so I was trying to, f and, and I was, I was in a bad place. And so I was like, I'm going to do the simplest thing I can, which is, I'm just going to start telling myself. And so I started telling myself, like, I love myself because why not? I'm telling myself all sorts of things in my head anyway. So why not? So I started kind of like running it like a little mental loop, just like I love myself, I, you know, I just doing it again and again. And what I noticed was after a couple of days, my mind started to shift it started to just feel better. My inside just started to feel better. And then what I did was I added in the feeling of it. Because look, we manuf you know, you know this, we manufacture our feelings. We're actually more in charge of our feelings than we believe. And so once again, it was being conscious and then adding in the concept of breath of light with the in, with the in breath, I would feel light come in and I would feel love coming for myself. And I would tell myself, I love myself. And then with the out breath released whatever was inside. And this was a big shift. And this actually shifted things big time because now you just, you know, I could go into the physiology of it, but I, I'd rather look, I'm a, I'm a startup guy. I've built companies, you know, I've, I was in the military, you know, like I like doing things. I, I care about what's practical, you know, which is actually, I think one of the reasons why people pass this book around is because it doesn't just say, look, you should love yourself or like love yourself and life will be great. It talks about how to actually do it. And so you know, what you call the mantra, what I call the mental loop was just the first step uh, that I built this practice on. And it was the simplest, very simplest thing I could do. I'm thinking anyway, why not start thinking what I want to be feeling about myself? Yeah, it's, it's super powerful. And it's that breath exercise that you alluded to, can you just walk us and my listeners through that? Because I think that's really powerful and I don't want that to be lost on, uh, you know, on my listeners. Yeah, there's one thing that I do throughout the day, which is something I call uh, 10 breaths, which is, you know, uh, I'll stop whatever I'm doing, I'll pause, and I'll take 10 deep, really deep and on purpose, like purposeful breaths. And with the in-breath, I'll feel light from above come in. And I, you know, sometimes I imagine, you know, if I'm by myself, close my eyes and I'll, I'll imagine like the entire universe and galaxies and all the light from that just flowing right into me, you know, from above. And, and in that light, I'll feel love. I'll feel love just coming in. And I will, I will think to myself, I love myself. I'll think it very gently and, and, and lovingly and in a full breath. And then when I release, I will just breathe out whatever needs to go. And what's interesting is you do this and I will do this like, you know, I'll pause through the day and just do this exercise. And you'll notice after a little while, when you start to release, uh, in the beginning, it might feel like gunk is going on. After a while, you notice you'll just start feeling gratitude. You'll just start feeling thank you. It's very interesting. So you start feeling in love and, and breathing in love and breathing out gratitude. And it becomes a very nice cycle. And it's just 10 breaths. 
you know, you're going to breathe as long as you're around anyway. So throughout the day, I pause and do these 10 breaths and then do that cycle. That's great. I mean, I, I, breath work has become so trendy now in the, in the bigger cities. And I've spoken to Michael Pollan, who's written extensively about yeah. the use of psych yeah. psychedelics to help alleviate symptoms in patients with, you know, major depression and the like. And, and breath work is actually one of the non, um, drug means of, of altering your consciousness to the degree that it might actually achieve some of the same things that these, that drugs like psilocybin mushrooms, uh, do. And, you know, I think it's, it's cool that, um, you know, as you say that you don't need to be necessarily in a breath work class to achieve some of these benefits. You can just do this simple practice on your own in your car or at your desk or wherever you happen to find yourself. Yeah, because look, ultimately, we're thinking anyway. And most of the times, man, like, I don't know about you, but like my natural thoughts don't serve me. So it's like a part of it is just training my mind to like one focused thought, one focused feeling that serves me. And look, we're all we're all prime for love. Look at a baby. You know, it's just a, we're, we're wired for it. So it's like tapping into something fundamental in us, you know, something that we all crave anyway. Like, uh, look at all modern advertising. It's just trying to get you to like feel, you know, you do this, you, you know, ultimately what's saying is buy this and you will feel loved. Do this or you'll feel loved, you know, but we can create that ourselves. And not, I'm not saying don't go in the world and have it, but if you create it from yourself, you come from a better place. You know, it gives you a sense of solidness and peace that is really hard to find any, anywhere else. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. My, so I bought, I, as I mentioned, I bought your book for my ex-girlfriend who we would always have get into fights because, you know, I, I felt that she, I mean, knowing her, knowing her very well and her background and everything that she had problems with self, self-love. And so that's why I, have, I bought her the book and we, she, we would actually get in fights about the book because, you know, I would say like, you've got to learn to love yourself because if you don't love yourself, how are you going to be able to receive love from another person? You just, you can't. And she would respond saying, I do love myself. I think I'm awesome. What, <laughs> not to, not to, you know, um, poke fun, but how, like, so what is the difference between then truly loving yourself and maybe a more superficial expression of, you know, like what, what she was doing in that moment out of fear of, you know, perhaps confidence or even overconfidence. Does that question make sense? It makes sense. And look, I don't think anybody 100% loves themselves, 100% doesn't love themselves. We're human beings, we're complex creatures, you know. Um, I think it's a matter of, but loving yourself is more of a, is a foundation. It's a way of being, it's a way of feeling, it's a way of from where you, place where you live from, where your thoughts arise from, where you make your choices from, you know. And that I think a lot of people don't have. I didn't have it, you know, and I still work at it. This is a practice, you know, it's like I go to the gym. I work on my mind by doing my love myself practice. You know, it's so I think that there's a difference between uh, there is a difference between outwardly. Like, I think I'm awesome putting it out to the world versus who are you when you're by yourself? Yeah. Who I mean, are you? Who are you inside? Yeah. You know? Exactly. I mean, I like I could remember having those thoughts as a teenager, you know, I think I'm awesome. I think I'm the best person in the room. But the reality is, I mean, I think when many of us think back to our teenage years, how we truly feel deep down is anything but awesome. We feel insecure. Um, we don't feel confident. So I, I do think that there is this sometimes it's like an overcompensation for an undercompensation, the undercompensation being the fact that we're not truly actually loving ourselves. Yeah. And you know, in, in reference to your girlfriend, you know, it's a good point time to bring this up. You know, like I, you know, I just published an expanded version of the book, um, you know, seven years after the original came out and it's significantly bigger and much, much deeper. Uh, because, for, you know, for over seven years, you know, I did something in that book when I first put it out that and most people don't do. I put my email address and I said, hey, email me if you got any questions. Well, guess what? I got all sorts of amazing emails, you know, from people. I, I don't know, thousands, tens of thousands of emails. People telling me how it changed their life, how it's it's like impacting them, their families. Anywhere from like 16-year-old girls to like veterans in their 70s, you know, it just it's amazing. But I also got questions. And I also got people struggling with stuff from childhood. I also got stuff, you know, like this is what my story is, you know, like how do I apply it? And I realized like, look, I didn't give 
the book what it needed. I had to go in deeper and actually share more like how I use it for my own childhood stuff. You know, we all carry stuff, whether it's childhood or adulthood or whatever. And how to specifically apply loving yourself to it. Because sometimes you have to take like almost like the, the love, loving yourself as a scalpel that you use to actually fix the wound um, that, ever, that whatever we're carrying. Um, so sometimes it's, it's like, you know, a lot of this stuff comes from actually not loving ourselves. I think it comes from childhood stuff. And, and it's important to recognize that. It's important to recognize the child. And it's important to recognize actually the beauty of this child who actually went through whatever went through, he or she went through and, and persevered and survived to become who we are and then give that child love. It's very, very powerful. Um, something I highly recommend everyone do regardless of what your childhood was. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. How do you, how do we stay in this space of loving ourselves when it seems like there are so many aspects of modern life that are working to break down our sense, the, that sense of love that we are so desperately in need of cultivating. Um, everything, everything from marketing to advertising to social media to even in my, in my world, the health and wellness world, you know, products that um, maybe very subtly prey on people essentially by making them feel inadequate. How do we, like, you know, stand guard against yeah. those forces? Yeah, I think that's, that's a great question, man. And I think that's why it's even more important to actually work at it, you know, because there's things out there working against it, right? So if you're just going on status quo, if you're just going on autopilot, you know, it's actually kind of, kind of almost like wear it down. Um, but that's, that's the rub, man. You got, we got to work on it. It's a practice. Yeah, that was the secret. That was the thing that I figured out that that, you know, I haven't read other places where like, look, make this is how you make it a consistent daily practice. And it's easy and it doesn't take much time. Minutes. What is what does 10 breaths take? For example, that's one of the practices. Right. Um, and each one that kind of builds upon itself. And it's what you what it does is it creates these mental grooves that start to run the show. You know, we have mental groups that are running away. So the key is you got to make it a practice. It's just like, look. We got processed food everywhere. We got, you know, all sorts of like just hydrogenated fats and, and, and all sorts of you know, garbage masquerading as food in supermarkets, right? That's what we got against us. We got to be consciously eat healthy and consciously work out, you know? Otherwise, if you just go with what society tells you to eat and, and you know, you're not going to do very well, you know, you're going to have all sorts of metabolic disease. So same thing with the mind. You got to you got to actually work on it consistently. You got to make a conscious choice and then do it daily, you know, and I'll be honest. There's been times when I, I get lazy and, you know, my mind shows. I actually went showing the book a time when I really got lazy and really let everything fall apart and how I had to use my own, eat my own dog food all over again. I show it, you know, so that people can see with the work I do on the inside so that they understand there's nuances to this. Just, you know, just like I'm on your podcast, I could tell people, oh, you want to have great glutes, you know, do squats. Well, let me show you how I do squats, what the nuances are. And, uh, but that's it. Your question actually is the answer. You know, we got to make it a practice. And That's think, the only way. Yeah. And I think awareness is such a big part of it. And, you know, my, my audience is a pretty, they're pretty woke. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah. But this is all, this is crucial stuff. You also talk about in your, in the wonderful book, which, you know, people should pick up. It's called Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It. Um, tracking. So, I mean, I, you know, I'm used to going to the gym and kind of tracking my lifts and things like that. But you actually talk about tracking your progress in terms of self-love. What do you mean by that? Yeah, because basically what, you know, one of the things I put in the book uh, in the expanded version was like something that I realized that you, my readers were asking, they were like, basically make it a step-by-step -step manual that I can just follow. Like, and so like I did that and it's a manual working the internal stuff, but I also put in things that I've, that I've done that have helped me over time. Right. And so I come from the startup world and we have this uh, we have this saying, what you measure improves. It's really that simple. You start measuring something. You just hear it's human nature. You start tracking something on a you start tracking how much weight you're lifting. You track start tracking how far you're running every day or your time or what how you're eating or your weight. And you know what? You will naturally start to take action on it. You know, like it's just human nature. So it's the same thing here. I was like, look, if you're just starting this and you have 
you know, like you want to really commit to this and stick to it, just, just, you know, here's the practice. Here's a step-by-step exactly how to do it. Here's how it's just part of your day. And here's how you just track it daily. You know, like I think, you, you know, I'm a fan of uh, Jerry Seinfeld's, you know, X on a calendar, you know, every day you do it, you put an X on a calendar. And so like you start looking at an unbroken string of X's and it motivates you. But if you start seeing just random X's, you know, it also motivates you to like, okay, get your ass up because when you're accountable, you know, that doesn't lie. Whereas otherwise the head just, the mind just makes up all sorts of crazy excuses and justifications. So it's a very simple thing um, that I put in there to help people who just want to like really just consistently do it. Look, here's all the processes. Here's the simple things I've done down from the mindset and to the external stuff like, like tracking um, that have made this a core part of my life that just make it stupid, simple, you know, an autopilot, a no brainer. So how did a guy who was coming from the Silicon Valley world, I mean, how did you, how did you come to write this book? I mean, you mentioned that you were in a dark place, but like what, what, give me some context here. Like what, what was it that inspired you to write this book? Well, so, you know, I had a fair measure of success in Silicon Valley and then I built a company and I was a CEO for about four years and I put all my money into it and the company uh, fell apart and I fell apart with it and I lost everything and including relationships and, and my health and, and my, and my self-esteem. And I was just in a dark, I was like, I felt like a complete failure and it was time to like, just, I was better off not being here. I was, you know, not in a good, not in a good place. And so that's where this came from that night or that morning. I forget, I forget, but it was dark. It might've been early morning or late night where I got up and went to my journal and made that vow. And then I had to set out to do it. And, you know, I, while I was building companies, I was teaching myself to be a writer. I was writing literary fiction. You know, I was wanted to be, you know, books were my refuge as a child and I love books. And you know, but I never set out to write a pres- like a prescriptive self-help book. And, and so when, when this, when I did this practice and it worked and really changed things around for me in a month it had really changed everything around, I, um, I started sharing with friends and they started applying it and you know how it works. You start to, you, you become like, when you figure something out that really works, you share it with people you love and if they apply it and you start seeing it working for them. And then they convinced me to write this book. And so Here's the beauty of life. All this time I've been training myself to be a literary fiction writer and while, while building startups, uh, but now I had the knowledge on how to write something simple and true that I didn't, have, I didn't have to go and like, you know, pontificate forever, just get to the point in a clear and simple way. I'm a very big believer. The way I write, like every single word belongs there. I mean, I, I will edit mercilessly for months at a time and, um, and that actually led to the book. And the original version of the book, um, I self-published it and I put it on Amazon and I just thought I would buy copies for my friends and I thought I'd destroy my career in Silicon Valley. I thought it'd be a big laughing stock. You know, look, I lost everything and I'm loving myself. Yay, you know. And instead, within a month, that book had taken off and gone viral. And I would be at events and CEOs and VCs would come up to me and say, like, look, your book really helped me. And like, I'll still be like randomly people on the street will come up to me and tell me like, they, you know, about, about the book. And I never even put my photo on that book. And, um, and that book actually led to now the expanded version because it was seven years of communication with readers that made me realize like, look, man, you were scared. You held back a lot. If you want to show, make, show people how to make this last, how to make this just a core part of themselves, you got to go all in. And so now, hence the expanded version of the book that just came out uh, a couple of weeks ago. I love it. So the first version of the book, it went viral purely by word of mouth. Yep. That's powerful. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it is amazing. Um, you know, was artist to artist, because when you were describing your writing process, I'm the mm-hmm. same way. I can, it can take, you know, over the course of writing Genius Foods, for example, my book. I mean, I just remember there have been there were f- entire days where I would be laboring on the wording of a single sentence or paragraph. Yeah. yeah. Um, is there any benefit to self? <laughs> I want to say self-loathing because um, I just can't think of a better term. But I mean, doesn't sometimes good art come out of the fact that we don't necessarily that that there is this sort of internal angst and and like struggle within the artist's mind that leads to sometimes good art to come out? I mean, what are your thoughts on that? 
Well, the angst comes from our responsibility, the responsibility we feel to our work, to put the best work out there. That's a form of loving yourself. If you're going to put out there, put the very best you can, you know, like that, that dissatisfaction, loving yourself doesn't mean sit around and just be like happy Lala night 24 seven, no matter what you do. You know, loving yourself means stepping up, you know, I mean, as a, as a creative, it means like stepping up and giving your best. So when you're laboring over that sense to just to get it right, there's that angst is because you're, you're actually, you're creative and you're trying to do the very, create something pure, something real, you know? So I don't think those two are like counter indicative, you know, I think those actually go hand in hand, you know, like I will sit there and like really labor over stuff, you know, but I know that when, you know, that feeling when you get it right and, you know, like sometimes like, and readers feel it, you know, people feel and art, art is meant to f make you feel, it's meant to make you shift something inside and people can feel it. People can feel that effort. They may not see it. They may only see the tip of the iceberg, but they can feel what went in. Yeah, that's a good point. And you can certainly feel that in your work. Um, for sure. Were you, before you wrote the book and before you discovered these insights that led to you, um, writing your, your viral hit, uh, were you meditating? Like what was your, what was your, no, I wasn't What were your like daily sort of self? I wasn't, I was just, like? I was, I was working my ass off. Just, I was, uh, I was just working 24 seven, no vacation. Uh, yeah, I wasn't, wow. I wasn't, um, yeah. How does this, um, gel with meditation? I mean, do you, do you, is it sort of complementary, or is it, you know, do you, is it there to replace a meditation practice or do you, is it a meditation or do you offer meditations it's, in the book? There is one meditation that I do daily uh, that I started doing and it's literally seven minutes long. And what I did was I took this concept, you know, cause every, everything in the practice is built upon the very simple, uh, very simple foundations off that light, light and breath and, and the feeling of, of making, of loving myself. And I do a meditation for seven minutes. Why seven minutes? Because I put on a piece of music that I was listening to at that time and it was seven minutes long, instrumental. So no one, no one's vocals in my head, just a piece of music I like. And I would just meditate to it and feel and do this almost like the 10 breaths. I would just do that to the music. And what that did was after a while, I noticed that my mind got anchored to that piece of music. So anytime I listened to that piece of music, it was time to meditate. But I would just go there. It just knows. So I kind of came up with this, my own little meditation hack. And you know what? I've gotten so many emails from people telling me they never meditated before, but now they meditate because of this, because it's simple. And it actually just like you walk away, just feeling centered and good. So this doesn't replace any, any meditation practice. It's just something of my own, you know, since over the years I've gone, I have studied meditation. I studied with, um, in, um, August I was in, uh, Mustang Valley in Nepal, uh, studying with the Bon, who are the, who are the mystics of Tibetan Buddhism. I was studying their meditation You know, it's very, very powerful stuff. Um, but the loving yours, loving myself stuff I came up with was, was a place where like, look, I was, I didn't have energy. I was down. I wanted to do something. I wanted to basically just come up with something that I could do no matter what, you know, I do, you can do this meditation. I do this meditation sitting in the back of an Uber, you know, it doesn't have to be anything special. It's just all it is, is I'm, I'm creating this mental grooves, this loop, this feeling that consistently just runs the show rather than, you know, the monkey. That's all. Yeah. I love that. Have you had feedback from patients with um, you know, more, uh, serious mood disorders, like major depression and things like that. I wonder how they have responded to this work. Cause you know, a lot of, a lot of people struggling with, with gloom and rumination, which is, you know, which can precede sometimes suicidal ideation and things like that. You know, um, I think that this is a very, obviously a very powerful tool, but then, you know, where does it fit within the treatment, you know, of somebody that has maybe more, a more severe, um, you know, case of depression or anxiety disorders or the, or the like. That's a great question. You know, look, I'm not a therapist, you know, so I can't tell people what to do and not to do. All I am is a guy who figured something out that changed his life and has shared how to do it. Right. I can tell you what I've heard from people as you asked. Um, I've gotten emails from people telling me they were about to commit suicide and this book stopped them from doing it mm. and saved their life. I got an email yesterday actually from a guy 
in California, him and his family moved to Canada, he was telling me, and he said, like, my wife was recently um, uh, diagnosed with, like, I think bipolar, and he said, you know, but I want to let you know that, you know, she's on, she's doing really well, but before she was diagnosed, what's literally saved her life was your book, because sometimes it's just, you know, it's a, the concept of loving ourselves just gets us out of our destructive patterns in our heads. And sometimes that's all we need. I would never say use this as a, as a alternative to whatever you need. This is just something to do for yourself because you're a human, you know, no matter what we're going through or no matter how good we feel about ourselves, no matter how great our life. Look, man, I know people who are stupidly successful. The Silicon Valley world, man, like I, you know, like you name it, the name brands, people, odds are we've hung out or, we, or we're friends. Right. But, you know, like I see, but I know, I know them. Right. So everyone struggles. Everyone's human. You know, whether your your you know, your your bank account doesn't necessarily reflect your state of mind. Right. And this is something I think is just like like um, like eating healthy. You know, we just you just need to do for yourself, regardless of where you are, regardless of what you're doing. But I wouldn't. I wouldn't, you know, I would never recommend anyone making an alternative to, to something that's, you know, comes from a professional. Yeah. I, I like just that. Just additive. Yeah. I totally appreciate that. I mean, you're, yeah. At the end of the day, you are a human being. And so knowing how to love yourself is just as essential, um, to, I think living a, a genius life, um, as is getting to the gym and getting in physical exercise and eating healthy That's diet. all it is. That's all it is. It's just as something to you. You're basically taking care of your mind. And in a way that we all crave, in a way that we all wired for, you know? Yeah. Uh, one thing that I, I read in your bio that piqued my interest um, as I was preparing for the interview is that you were a member of a black women's writers group despite yeah. not being black or a woman. Or a woman. Yeah. yeah, yeah. One of my proudest accomplishments in life. I was very, uh, you know, they let me in because they love my writing and we just became great friends. That was a lot of fun. That's amazing. Did that, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> how did that, I mean, so you just went to the weekly meetings and what, like, what was that like? Uh, yeah, we have weekly meetings and then we would share writing with each other. This is years ago before I published Love Yourself. And there were some very talented writers in there. And we just like, they like me, uh, they really love my writing and they love my feedback on their writing. And man, like the conversations I got to listen to were, were, were great. You know, uh, I really enjoyed it. I'm sure that's, that. I mean, that's, so, so yeah, put in my bio. <laughs> Something I'm sounds, proud of. That sounds <laughs> awesome. I would too. You've walked 550 miles across Spain. Yeah. That's the 11th century pilgrim route called the Camino de Santiago. Oh my God. Um, I walked that years ago and I even wrote a novel about it. Wow. That, I mean, did you, did you, how many pairs of shoes did you go through? One pair, man. Just one pair. Uh, one pair. Damn. You, uh, you earned a U.S. Army infantry patch. Yeah, I was a, I was a soldier in the U.S. Army uh, in the 10th Mountain Division. Where were you uh, stationed? Just U.S. Just Fort Benning and Fort Trump, yeah. Where's that? Uh, Fort Benning's in Georgia, Fort Trump's in upstate New York. Nice. Shout out to uh, all the servicemen and women in the audience listening. Um, that, that's cool to hear. And you've hiked to one of the highest base camps in the Himalayas. Yeah, I love mountains, you know, but no surprise that I was in a mountain unit, you know, that kind of put that love for mountains in me. And uh, I've been to the Himalayas twice in my life so far. And uh, it's I mean, it's the rooftop of the world, you know, absolutely stunning. That's amazing. I like kind of how you approach life. It seems like you take risks and you're not afraid to fail. And, um, you know, that's those are definitely attributes that I think uh, lead to. Um, well, obviously, they can lead to success. They can lead to, you know, great life learning, um, satisfaction and things like that. So that's, I mean, kudos to you. I mean, look, the biggest lesson I've learned from that is like, you know, what I learned, share it, you know, not share the, um, the, you know, not share that I fell or not share that I rose, but share like exactly what I did so that it may help others do the same. Did you, you have know, any... Did you have any doubt before writing the book? Because, I mean, I feel like I get approached oh, yeah. by people. Oh, yeah. I was terrified. Really? I didn't. I, you don't know how close I came to not publishing it. But I did it because I made I made a commitment to a friend of mine, um, uh, James Altucher. You know him. Right? I don't, but he, the name rings a bell. 
Yeah, great guy. I made a commitment to him that I would do it if he's if he liked it and he did. So I had to put it out. You know, I've learned, you know, you keep your commitments. But when you keep your real commitments to the ones that matter. Right. Um, but I only make commitments to the ones that matter. You know, that's also I've learned. I don't make easy commitments. I may, but I make it. I That's it. I've committed. And dude, I was terrified. You know, here I was. I'd lost investors' money. I lost all my money. I was living off credit cards. You know, I had no idea what to do next. I was not doing well emotionally. And I, then I was doing, then, you know, I, I came with a love yourself practice for myself. And then when it worked and got me out of it, and then to put this little book out talking about that, no one did that. You know, like this wasn't, you know, and I was, I was terrified, like, I would never be able to raise a dime in Silicon Valley again, you know, for a company because they would, an investor would just look me up and say, look, what, what is this guy? Like loving yourself? What? You know, there's just the, and uh, funny enough, the opposite happened after the book came out, after the book came out, I ended up building my own venture capital firm. So now I'm the guy who writes the checks. That's amazing because you the know? book did that well financially because you self-published and it just went viral. It went viral and it allowed me to, st it started paying my bills which allowed me rather than have to go out and get a job because uh, I was too, I didn't want to go build another company again. Um, it allowed me to then sit back and say, okay, what do I, what do I want to do next? I sit back and like take the time and build something that I wanted to build. Wow. That's amazing. What was it like? Isn't it? Yeah. I mean, totally amazing. And it's, it's, it's inspiring because, you know, a lot of people ask me if they, they like how to, approach like they want to write a book but they want to get a book deal to do it and how they can go about doing that but you're like proof positive that you don't need that you can just if you have a good idea a good idea is a good idea and then execution and then execution you know of i worked my ass off on that book yeah. it was a small book but every word i cut out like 90 percent what i wrote until every word mattered and look now i have a book deal like the expanded version came from harper one who uh, i'm a big fan of and but the reason is there's several reasons one is like, look, I had to put out the deeper version to the world. I realized like, look, if I, you know, somewhere, someday I'm going to leave the world. And this book is something special I gave to the world. But like, I have to be real. I have to, I have too many questions that repeating themselves. I need to answer them in the book. Um, and that will help the readers. And second was also the book deal got me distribution. Now the book will be all over the world, which it wasn't before. It was only on Amazon. But, and Amazon was great. But, you know, it wasn't. I got the book deal first. It was the fact that I put it out and it showed the world what it, what it was capable of. And that led to a book deal. Yeah. Wow. I never set out looking for a book deal. Right. It's all, it's all starting to like the story, the, the story is coming together in my head and it's, it's just really fascinating. You, you were very successful. You were, you were, I'm just going to say you were probably rich when you, when you sold your company and then everything came crashing down. You suddenly were oh. living off of credit cards. What? And you were, so you were probably like the self-doubt that you were experiencing, the self-loathing was probably like something that most people off can't, the charts. Off the charts, yeah. can't, can't understand. Yeah. And then yeah. to, to have the balls to go and like write this book, it's such a, it's such a, and it's such a simple idea, right? It's not easy, as you said, but it's a simple idea. I mean, it's such a humbling experience to then go and like put this kind of per, super personal expression out into the world in the midst of what you were probably feeling at that time. I mean, it's just like, what an amazing story that is. Thanks, man. You know, it's something that I've learned. Like, it's like if I'm, and this actually James taught me, uh, James Altra is like, look, if you're not scared of putting something out, it's not real. So like this expanded version, I've been terrified. I was terrified again of putting it out because I go like, I share some real stuff there because I know but my readers have struggled with the same and then they need to know they're not alone, one. And two, how I actually overcome it using this. And I don't need to, people to know my childhood or my dirty laundry, but like it's, it's actually, it's helpful, right? And I think in the end, if we're scared of putting a work out there, we all get scared, man. Like we're big, because we feel, we we're, feel naked. Like this is our work. This is our baby. This is what we work so hard on. But that's what it's for is to put it out to the world so that it can go do its thing so it can shine, so it can change lives. You know, I, I came so close to not doing it. I same, I remember that when I had published on Amazon, I was, I remember that night I was so close to just not doing it. I was terrified and, you know, putting it out changed my life and I would have missed out on that if I hadn't, you know? Wow. Amazing. What was the first step that you took? I mean, after having the idea, it was just opening up word. Like what was that like? And ass on chair, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yes, you sure. sit in front of it and day in, day out, you work. 
Wow. Amazing. I mean, there's no substitute for that. If you want to create something, you gotta, you gotta create it. And then, and then like in writing, you go to writing is not in the writing. Hemingway said writing is in the rewriting that, you know, that's where the, the real craft starts to, that's where the book starts to shine, you know? And even this version, like this new version I worked on for a year, you know, dedicated entire year, you know, to it. It's a, uh, you know, and then funny, you know, it's like, who, who said that was it Mark Twain or someone, you know, I would have sent a shorter letter, but I didn't have enough time. You know, like, it's like when you hammer and chisel away and get to, to hone things, that's when you know you have something real. And when you put it out, like, and I'm seeing that, I'm seeing that impact again. And it's, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. I recommend anyone who's got their, who's a creative, you know, the best thing you can do is just give it, make it your best. And at some point you got to put it out. Uh, you know, you got to commit to put it out. You got to commit to someone you care about that you, that you want to let down that you got to put it out. Couldn't agree more. Well, dude, so important. One last question for you before we go, we're, cause we're mm-hmm. just, just about out of time, but where, before we get to that, where can readers uh, connect with you over social media and where can they get the book? They can get the book anywhere in bookstores, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, independent bookstores. It's everywhere. It's great. It's uh, beautiful. And social media and all this stuff, you can just find my using my name, Kamal Ravikant on Twitter, Instagram, you know, the usual suspects. Awesome. Yeah. And just to reiterate, guys listening, um, you know, it's a book that is it's very simply written. It's not bogged down with jargon and, you know, anecdotes. I actually tune out when books start to get too heavy on like the anecdotes, you know, like I think, you know, at least when I write, I like to be able to like sink my teeth in and right away start, start, you know, getting actionable, uh, information out there and, and science and stuff. And so this is like, this is one of those books where the the minute you start reading it, you're going to start to pick up on things that you can then implement in your life. And so it's great. Um, it's a great gift to yourself. It's a great gift for a loved one. So uh, check it out. Love yourself. Like your life depends on it. Um, so Kamal, the last question that gets asked to everybody on the show, uh, take uh-huh. it wherever you'd like. I mean, I feel like, I already kind of have a sense of how, of the direction that you're going to go in, but what does it mean to you to live like a genius? What does living a genius life mean to you? Um, there's a concept I've been uh, thinking about lately, which is, you know, to shine, like, when am I shining and when am I not, you know? And I, and I asked myself, when am I shining? And I actually wrote to myself, I'm shining, I'm shining when I'm on the world, giving and loving when I'm living what I believe, when I'm actually putting my work out there, I'm doing my best. You know, and this is different when I'm doing my best. And I think that would be a genius life for me. I like that. That's good. Um, that's a really great note to, 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 to leave on so that, you know, cause I, I would love for my listeners to think about when they are shining, you know, that's a really powerful thing to, to contemplate and then to try as best you can to steer your life in, in the direction of that more so that you can spend more time in that, in that state. That's potent. Um, thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. And, uh, this was really fun and I'm sure that my audience is going to appreciate it to all you guys out there listening. Thanks for your time and attention. I value it immensely. Take a moment to share this episode of the show, highlight your favorite quote, tag Kamal or I, and I will catch you on the next episode. Peace.